This podcast is proud to be part of the TalkSport Fan Network. TalkSport. Powered by fans. And there it is. That's as good as it gets on this stage. Nissan Townstar EV strikes again. It's an unstoppable van. Unstoppable. Look, just fantastic. You can actually see the ProPilot technology in action. Effortless parallel parking. It moves with all the confidence that comes with a five-year warranty. And with a bench full of all-star van experts, there's real strength in depth here. That's all-star quality. Search Nissan Townstar EV and visit your local all-star van centre to see for yourself. Terms and conditions apply. Five years or 100,000 miles, whichever comes first. ProPilot is an advanced driver assist technology. Driver's responsibility to stay alert, drive safely and control vehicle at all times. The TalkSport Fan Network is proudly supported by McDelivery, bringing you the food you love. McDelivery brings a top-tier lineup of food right to your door. No matter the results, you'll always be winning with McDelivery. Order now on the McDonald's app and you'll get rewards points delivered too. So that ordering today means some tasty rewards for tomorrow. Only via app at participating restaurants. 18 plus rewards registration required. Points only on menu items, delivery fee and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. What's your favourite football chant? Oh, there are loads of them. Most of them I can't repeat, so I'll replace the bad words with other bits so you get it. But it's, um, my old man said be a city fan, but I said testicles, your lady parts, your lady parts. I'd rather fornicate with a bucket with a big hole in it than be a city fan for just one minute. When I go home late at night, this is a song that I really like to sing right now, so I'll play it for you. It's uh, called My Old Man. Welcome to the My Old Man Said podcast. I'm David Michael, the editor of MyOldManSaid.com. Joining me for, it's hard to pitch where Villa are now, but I've got two uh, gentlemen from the Upper Holt, Mr. Chris Budd, as always, hello, and Max Stokes from Villa on Tour, the YouTube channel. Good evening. Everybody's favourite YouTube channel, they're saying at the moment. Oh, yeah. But I did notice that you were you were asked to justify your existence. Uh, was it this week? And uh, you put out a video, Why Do I Vlog? Oh, well, yeah, I'll just get a bit of... A few comments giving me a bit of abuse, but yeah. I know the Twitter account that prompted you to do this. I spotted it. And uh, the guy's an arsehole, so don't worry about it. Yeah, him. a lot of people just ignore that. him. <laughs> I bet he's the dickhead who brought the hoverboard to the whole end. Oh, yeah. <laughs> what a bad <laughs> That was Owen Thompson, uh, I've heard. Yeah, it was, yeah. Lad. <laughs> rumours, rumours on the street. So haters, uh, they're irrelevant, basically. If, if anybody knew the effort that it took to uh, put podcasts, especially this podcast, because uh, the way we record it, uh, and YouTube channels and everything together, if they can do any better, then good luck to them. Exactly. Feel free to edit it for us. <laughs> but most of you fine specimens uh, are always very supportive. So that's what keeps us rocking and rolling. Both of you went to Wigan, did you not? We did. Yes. And we're going to talk about the whole game, but just wanted to, to have uh, basically lay a reef at the uh, 
get the DW. <laughs> you should have laid. <laughs> just want to lay, lay a reef at the memory of that game, and uh, so we can move on. I think a lot of people are actually surprised by how bad that got, and it was completely unexpected. Uh, I think we spoke about it on last podcast, but I just wanted to get Max's views. Yeah, I, I, th- I thought I, I predicted four one. I don't know where that came from, but everyone I was talking to, <laughs> they were all confident on the day. I just I have no idea what happened. Even when they went one nil up, we just didn't look interested. It was just shocking. It really was the subject that a lot of people have been talking about: the actual Aston Villa defence and you know what's happening to it. I mean, we have a manager who used to play centre back during his playing career. We have John Terry, one of the most celebrated defenders in the English game in recent times, and. Uh, we're just bog awful in defence. It's like we're not talking about just the four defenders at the back. We're talking about defending as a unit. It's it's all over the place. So we'll get into that. We'll answer a few uh, specific questions on the issue, and then we'll get into uh, what I'm alluding to here with that Wigan results. Was the feeling where where do we stand this season? Are we actually going to challenge for the playoffs, or are we just floating off into mid table obscurity? So uh, we'll we'll give up feelings individual feelings on where we're going to uh, finish at the end and also look at the next couple of games because the next two games are against uh, two bottom three teams so uh, if it's not six points then we might as well all go on holiday anyway let's get on to the three points uh, the first point spygate what did you make of uh, mr bialzi is that his name bialzi bar bialzi it all kicked off obviously uh, they they'd spotted a uh, leeds spy sorry derby county spotted a Leeds spy but then in that interview with frank lampard uh one of the interviews with frank lampard about it he he said that uh they'd spotted uh, a lead spy in their previous game uh they played this season so pretty much if they can get away with it they'll be they've been doing it for every game i mean that's not just throwing it out there because as he, as he said is this is kind of normal for anywhere where he's been, and as uh, Pep Guardiola said, this happens overseas all the time. Uh, so now there's talk about uh, the EFL actually launching an inquiry. Eleven championship clubs have actually written to the EFL to basically uh, have an official inquiry. Uh, Bristol City owner Steve Lansdowne has actually called on uh, the EFL to actually have a points deduction for Leeds and it to be considered uh, in a very serious manner because obviously it's been doing the rounds in the media at the moment. But I think it does. I mean, what was your views on it? Is it something uh, that needs proper investigation and should be considered for potential fine, Chris? It's really difficult difficult one to call because ultimately he hasn't broken the law it's one of these gray areas of sort of you know is it frowned upon yeah but will he care no you know he came out and did his press conference where he was going through all his tactical analysis yeah. stuff didn't he and that was quite interesting and he openly admitted it he doesn't seem to be particularly uh, regretful of what he's done he says he is but he won't care you know, they're t- they're, yeah. they're going to be going up he won't care you know he says I, I can't learn anything about the teams that I'm playing against that I can't already see from watching them so you kind of wonder well why are you even bothering i think it's mainly selection uh to know exactly who's playing uh, so what do you think about it max well they haven't really said what exactly the spy did like has he actually broken any rules what was he doing was he actually on public land or what i know it's getting a bit complicated but bielsa keeps on saying as well that it's okay in argentina but that doesn't really make it okay over here but the yeah. fact that 11 clubs have written to the efl it says something's wrong, really. When you go to uh, Bodymore Heath, getting in there, even if you're a staff member... You can't get near it, can't get near it can you? It's difficult. Mm. You need passes. And, like, for example, when we visited there, like, officially, the Villa staff, you know, has had to have serious conversations with the person at the uh, the gate 
because you know they want uh, to see passes and clearance and whatever. That suggests that Aston Villa is a football club want to have optimum security for you know obviously a bunch of reasons but also so nobody knows how they're playing and you know how they're uh, actually planning for games so for Villa it's very difficult if you want to spy on Villa but um, maybe Leeds have found a way and maybe they're using drones or something and there's a reason why clubs have security like that I think Manchester City is out in the middle of nowhere as a lot of training uh, bases tend to be but they're set up because they don't want people to spy. So they know there's a potential for it to happen. It's a bit like, you know, when England would play in tournaments and they'd get, uh, this is like going back, I don't know, 20 years or so, before all the, uh, let's say, the international players started to come into the Premier League. We would normally get caught out by uh, definitely Portugal, for example, by players diving and cheating and, you know, playing up to the referees. And, and we'd always be watching it as fans, English fans, in disgust at these uh, foreigners play acting and all this kind of stuff. But it's just like, well, it's by any means necessary is their kind of mentality. And since all these players have come into the English game, then everybody's diving around and, you know, trying to uh, pull a fast one and whatever. So this is just part of their culture. This is why 52% voted for Brexit. <laughs> we had to go there. We had to go there. So I'm joking. All, all I've heard in the last two weeks is Brexit, 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 Brexit. Interspersed Brexit. between. Villa can't defend. Villa can't defend. Villa can't defend. Brexit. Brexit. Villa can't defend. Brexit. Brexit. Villa can't defend. I think if you get away with it, you can get away with it. But you've got to... Uh, obviously set your stall out to prevent it as a football Yeah, I, th- I think with Leeds as well, it's an interesting one because would they get the same level of, say, scrutiny or as some are calling it overreaction if they were like mid table. I don't know if uh, I don't know if they would, but I think because they you know they're flying high, I think a few people will either be looking to shoot them down or they're saying, Well, why are they there? Yeah, well it's always tall poppy syndrome. I yeah. mean, you know, wolves uh, were victims of that as well. Uh, you know, obviously they they were flying and then suddenly it's like, you know, what's Jorge Mendes yeah. doing? And it's all very suspicious. How can you afford these players that are like Champions League players? And it's fair enough. I mean, normally uh, the reason why people are calling them out, because if cheats are winning, I'm not saying Wolves or Leeds are cheats. Uh, that's why they're getting called out because they're winning. It's obviously the spotlight's on them. I mean, part of it is you look at it, it's the same with Wolves, same with Leeds. And you, you always think with, with Villa that, well, is, are we missing a trick? Are we missing a trick? Yeah, we're always missing the Are trick. Are we just overpaying players and saying, yeah, we'll try and buy the league? Why Why get round it? Let's just throw money at the problem. Yeah, It's not in uh, a good spirit, I don't think. But I think it's fair game. If you catch somebody spying on you, then just drag him into the training complex, strap, strap him to a goalpost and then pull his pants down and just fire balls at his backside, I think, and torture him. <laughs> Target practice. <laughs> he'd, be, he'd be fine at Villa then, wouldn't he? Well, yeah, as I was going to say, Bjarnason wouldn't be able to hit him. That's for sure. Anyway, uh, moving on. Uh, so, sorry, how are we concluding this? I think that rules will be introduced. I don't think, I can't see them being fined or points being deducted, but I think, yeah. I think what will happen is it will become less of a grey area and there will probably be certain stipulations that will come into play as of next yeah, season, probably. There'll be some like code of conduct yeah, completely. brought in or something like that. Completely. All right, point number two, over to you, Chris. Inter um, Milan are currently serving a two-game stadium ban for the fans for uh, another bout of racist chanting, this time towards a Napoli player. They'll also serve a third game where their home curver and the ultras won't be allowed in the stadium. So that's three games in total without their, their main home support due to yet another case of you know racist chanting, which seems to be the norm and begs the question, are, you know, are Chelsea and various other teams 
be getting close to the same treatment. Yeah, I've been to a, a couple of like European football supporter conferences, and this is always a big thing. Uh, it's called mass punishment, where everybody gets punished for the behaviour of just a few fans, and it's something. Uh, that UEFA are just happy to do because they think it sends a warning. But when you break it down to those individual fans who are like suddenly, you know, Inter Milan season ticket holders in that area or whatever, can't go and see their, their team and they've done absolutely nothing wrong. I mean, that's surely not right. No. But then it also presents a situation where it actually gives power to these racists where they know that if they uh, do it, then you know, then they can close the stadium. Yeah, they, well, they can make a statement, can't they? I mean, you see, yeah. you see it happening in sort of Eastern Europe a lot, in Croatia and that parts of the world like that, where it's just rife, and it's it's a difficult one. I mean, I think we know will will Chelsea get those sorts of sanctions put against them? It's hard to say. But in both of you, have you in your experience of Villa heard going to games away, home and away? Have you heard any racist? Not even chanting, because I don't think that would get you know you get away with that. But in terms of comments and stuff. Uh, I, I never have. I think it's because maybe Villa are quite a multi multicultural kind of club, and you know you got all sorts of fans going. But yeah, yeah. I, I've never heard anything. No, I haven't. To be honest with you, it's um, yeah, I've only I've only seen direct, it online. No, like, yeah, not, yeah, very much. I think it's a bit of a keyboard warrior thing. It's certainly, you know, I know yeah, yeah. teams like Chelsea have that reputation. You know, they have the links to the you know your sort of combat eighteens and the far the British far right and the nationalism. Villa's yeah. sort of, if you want to call it, ultra community. They don't have those same links. I don't think. No. Chelsea have huge links with Rangers and the, you know, there's all the sort of the nationalistic stuff. But Villa, Villa have never been involved in that, have they really? Well, going back to the 70s, uh, like Villa were kind of considered more whites and the Zulus. Very multicultural, weren't they? Were more, yeah, we're more black. So Villa were seen a bit more right wingish. And like the Villa Hardcore and other groups like that. So it's, and that, you know, that still kind of exists, uh, let's say, in the shadows. It's certainly not something, I've never heard of it happening in the ground. You know, it's not been something Villa have ever had thrown at them, have they, for even yeah. isolated incidents? We've always been more of a let's just run on the pitch type group of fans. <laughs> For any excuse for a pitch invasion, but with, you know, I've certainly never experienced it. Be it to like a player, or even just between the fans or anything, I've never heard. Yeah. I've, I've never heard that going on, and that's in sort of you know twenty odd years ago. But yeah, but I've seen you know Villa fans being racist on uh, you know like social media, or whatever. Like when Ashley Young, when we got beat by Italy on penalties, I was like, whoa, racism is alive. Two black players missed the penalties, Ashley Young and I can't remember who else for England. And uh, the reason why they missed those penalties was the colour of their skin, apparently. Nonsense. So that was, uh, but that flared up and it just wasn't, it wasn't one or two, it was quite a few people and you thought, wow, racism is certainly, and uh, the veneer, everybody's pretending to be all PC, but underneath it, it's still uh, I th- Yeah, I think the thing in, in Britain certainly is, or I've always thought, it's the same with any kind of, you know, like the hooligan stuff as well. You'd be pretty stupid these days to try and do it in the ground because you're simply not going to get away with it. You know, they're so well yeah. policed and stewarded and there's cameras everywhere that you're just never going to get away with it. This, I mean, this is the this is the thing that social media brought out. It's what, what you're saying there is like getting away with it. Well, people shouldn't be doing it. Full no, stop. Completely, yeah. I, not I even completely agree. Thinking but. about it, and that's what uh, social media brought out, was that what was suddenly a portal to what people actually think 
and uh, that's when you realise there hasn't been that much progression in society. Anyway, uh, moving on swiftly yeah. <laughs> to uh, point number three, Mr. Maximilian Stokes. Some rather strange non-league goalkeeping antics. Yeah, so this is a non-league goalkeeper that the fans had given uh, a point to during the game. I thought that was quite funny. That That's what makes non-league, really. You wouldn't get that in the championship, would you? Yeah, it was, what was it? It was a, at the Enfield Town keeper against the Corinthian casuals yes in the pure non-league games where you can actually have a drink uh, while you're watching the game and it was they were like giving him chips and uh, passed him a pint yeah. and he duly took a swag of one what a lad yeah fair play to him do you know anything about the Corinthian casuals by the way I've never heard of them I think they're one of the oldest non-league teams there's a founding story to them but they have the, I had a friend who used to play for them and they have this rule and it's like this etiquette that if they get a penalty, they miss it on purpose. Because that's gentlemanly. Because it's gentleman yeah, etiquette. Wow. I think pretty much at the end of this season, that's where Glenn Whelan will be going uh, to play <laughs> the, the re- remainder of his career. It's a gimme. <laughs> goalkeepers having drinks in the middle of games. Uh, I, I kind of want to know what the Aston Villa goalkeepers have been doing. I mean, Dan Rogers has uh, been AWOL uh, for a week or two, and uh, maybe they've caught him, I don't know, slipping LSD into the water bottles of uh, Nyland and uh, Kalinic, on uh, recent performances. Yeah, he's a good. He's Ebenezer good. <laughs> he's Dan Rogers. Yeah, LSD, he's, the, I mean, I don't think a pint would be responsible. Kalinich is basically just having a rave in his six-yard box. Acid! <laughs> <laughs> well, he needs to take something that's going to get him dropped to the floor quickly because uh, I think he struggles to get down just because he's too big. Yeah. But anyway, we'll talk about that in a minute. Anyway, let's get on to this show. Uh, right, we've got big problems, Aston Villa. Our home form is hemorrhaging our promotion hopes and our playoff ambitions. This whole game... Game of two halves, very much. In the end, though, obviously, we didn't get the win. This is the uh, sixth game, including the FA Cup game, where we haven't actually won at Villa Park. And uh, it's shocking form now. I think we've won, is it five out of uh, 14 or 15 games? Yeah, it's appalling form and way too many draws. And, you know, you'll you'll always hear in like, press conferences or whatever, oh, we've only, you know, we've only lost two at home or, or like just under Dean Smith, we've lost one, but we've, we've hardly won. I think we have the uh, 15th best home record or something like that. We were before the whole game. Yeah, we've conceded more goals at home than anyone. I mean, let's go to the game. What, what, what were your thoughts when we were 1-0 down and then 2-0 down? It kind of seemed inevitable. The first goal didn't really come as a surprise. And as soon as the first goal came, you, you were kind of waiting for the second one to arrive and the inevitable sort of toxic atmosphere to kick in, which unfortunately did. It really was so important when Chester got the goal that he did regardless for the state of the game it just calmed the crowd down a bit and said oh do you know what actually we're still in this because I, th- yeah. I thought at 2-0 it was game over to be honest the way we've been playing I didn't see us coming back well you sit like a few rows in front of Max so once you see Max getting a bit toxic you should you should go and sort him <laughs> yeah, out yeah once I start seeing bottles <laughs> flying over my head <laughs> so what, what sorry what was your thoughts Max at this point we have, haven't seen your videos so we don't know how you were going into the game in terms of optimism and then well, how it kind of panned out. I, I did call a draw. I think it had 2-2 written all over it. But as soon as they scored the first goal, I think I thought to myself, you know, we've seen this all before. And then they got the second and it was like, oh, it's just going to happen again. But yeah. as Chris said, it's, it's get that Chester goal was so important because I think if we went into the break at 2-0 down, we wouldn't have seen a reaction like we did in the second half. Dean Smith said it galvanised the team uh, going into the dressing room. 
It did. I mean, if, if you know, if you were Hull, they'd be very disappointed because you know Villa had had the first ten minutes where they looked quite lively, but you know, from the, as soon as Hull had got the goal, Villa just stopped playing. Hull would have expected to sort of be out of sight at this point, and um, you know, Villa they just gave Villa a glimmer. But I thought when when Villa equalised, I thought that was early enough to set the game up to actually go on to win it. I mean, what was you thinking? Uh, obviously, when Abraham equalised, it was it wasn't yeah, like oh, we've got a draw here. It was it must have been like all right, let's win this. I was now. I was the same. I thought because we'd we'd been kind of building pressure, and once we got the goal, obviously Green had come on and was starting to look lively, and and he it really changed the. Uh, the complexion of the game for us. All of a sudden, he was the out ball. As soon as we started being positive and both wingers started running at the fullbacks, we pinned them back and we had a lot of possession and a lot of territory, but actually their goalkeeper didn't have very much to do um, other than pick the ball out of his net twice, which was disappointing, really. That's because we had two shots on target the whole game. Yeah, considering we had, you know, it was, was it 60, 60 odd percent of the possession, so we had yeah, a lot 61. of the ball, but yeah. didn't really do much with it. I, I thought, as, as you said, you know, once the, the equaliser came, I thought this will actually give them a little bit of confidence and I wouldn't be surprised if we go on and get the win here. I think we got into good positions on a number of occasions, but there was almost that sense of them just forcing the issue a little bit and, the, the, again, the decision-making was wrong and they kind of panicked. I think you know, we had enough time, even with sort of 10 minutes to go, to, to just take our time and work the opportunity a bit more and make a genuinely good chance. And I think we just we kind of panicked a bit. Max, do you think... One of our issues is we're, we're missing that. I mean, we'll talk about Grealish's absence later on, but we're, are we missing that kind of focal point for play to go through, so to speak? Yeah, definitely. I think when we did get that second goal, I think we still had, what, 25 minutes to go. So we should have gone on. I think that's been our mistake in, in a few games this season. We haven't, you know, really pushed on and really gone for it. But as you said, like in the final third towards the end of the game yesterday, it just wasn't happening. Like we gave the ball away too much, like crosses were hitting the first man. And Grealish, yeah. is, Grealish is that man just to, you know, fire it into him. He can do something like bring something magic to the to the team. But yeah, it just it didn't happen yesterday. What, what do you think about the the double switch uh, Green and El Ghazi? Because I thought that was pretty much the the uh, the move that changed the game. Because I thought El Ghazi looked like the man who was going to. I mean, give him the ball, and uh, if he's got a couple of players around him, he can actually get rid of them. And, and I thought Green gave us a bit more of a directness. Yeah, Green had a lot of the ball to be fair to him, and he did look lively. Um, Adoma and Balassé, they they weren't offering too much. El Ghazi as well. He's only really shone in one game this season, and that was West Brom away. But he, he was okay yesterday. But defensively, uh, I mean, when you looked at that first goal, um, the way we got caught out by the long ball, it just went over the midfield, and suddenly there was an overload of three Hull players on Taylor and Chester. Do you think? Well, I'll ask you both. Which are your two ideal wide players in terms of? as well as going forward, but obviously uh, tracking back as well. Yeah, in terms of going both ways, I'd probably play Al Ghazi. And ultimately, I'm not sure who I'd play on the other side because on his day, Codger can do a good job and he'll always, he obviously gives you the goal threat. Adoma generally puts a shift in, um, mm. so it kind of depends on who you're playing against. I was I was really impressed with Green. I thought he, he had the look of a player who had something to prove and he was sort of making up for lost time and it was exactly what we needed, that burst of energy. Um, you know, he didn't actually get to the byline and deliver very often, which he's been accused of a few times, but just by getting the ball and getting his head down and running, he actually just got us up the pitch. Sorry, what about you, Max, in terms of uh, your two preferred for all round? I'd probably say El Ghazi and Kodja. I think Adoma, I've never been a big fan of Adoma. He, he just looks lethargic during the game. He jogs around. But yeah, Kodja, he's got that magic. What they lacked, I think, was obviously it was that final ball. And, I th- and that's something you said, you know, you miss with Grealish, is that he can he dictates the tempo. You know, when we need to slow the game down and pick the right pass, 
he's normally the one to do that. I think it was a little bit forced that they were. But you could, they weren't. You know, you couldn't say they weren't trying in the second half. They'd clearly had a bollocking at half time, and they they came out and they ran around. But you never still felt that we were ever quite in control of the ball. We've we've, we've said numerous times on the, the pod about you know Smith wants to play this sort of ball retention game, and obviously you have to monopolize possession for that to be effective, which. Villa simply don't do. You know, we had 61% of the ball, but didn't actually do anything with it. Yeah. You know, for that return to have two shots on target and you've scored two goals, where you can you can flip it on its head and say, oh, well, we, you know, we're really clinical in front of goal. Fair play for that. But at home to anybody in this division with the the asset, you know, the, the players and the assets that we've got in the squad, you'd say you've got to be having more attempts at goal against whoever you play. Max. Yes. Quick question. Go on. What is Conor Horahan's role in the team? Oh, well. Wow, now that is a question. Yeah. Um, he he was class last season. I was a massive, massive fan of him. But I think since yeah. the Swansea game on Boxing Day, he's just been a bit absent in games. He just looks he just looks a bit depressed. Like, I, d- I don't know what it is with him. You know, uh, last season we saw, you know, he's got the threat going forward. And I think when Grealish was fit, especially in the Derby away game this season, you saw him in that in that defensive midfield role. It's a new role for him. And he looked really, really good there. But once Bjarnason or Whelan's in there, since Grealish has gone out, he just yeah. looks a bit lost. He can really, really go absent in games. Because he's one of the players that actually has legitimate end product, you know, whether yeah. it's free free kicks yeah, or you know, shooting from outside the box. So that's always the temptation to keep him in the team because you know that he can change a game. But there have been uh, writers, or whatever, in the press, and you know, we've we've obviously spoken about this on the on the podcast. Is he he sometimes goes missing, and in, in, you know, and the game sometimes passes him by in the middle of the pitch. Which uh, is a is a is a concern. I mean, obviously, McGinn's uh, running, you know, doing the work of almost three. Uh, I think you said, Chris, uh, previous podcasts. But one of my concerns also uh, in this game was what Bjarnason was doing because the game was passing him by, and it was it was like he was learning to play football at times. He had that chance inside the six yard box, a header, and he hit the wrong side of his head, and you know, went in an opposite direction. It was bizarre. Do you think it's just it's a confidence thing? They don't know what their roles are in that midfield. Yeah, I don't think we have a, a proper set three midfield. I think Bjarnason, since he's come back from injury, he's really not looked like he's got any idea what he's doing. I think yesterday as well, he looked like he was going down the channels and like McGinn were firing balls into him down the wing. I'm not sure. Well, clearly Smith has told him to do that, but yeah. it's just funny. Like none of them seem to know exactly what their role is. Yeah, I, th- I think it's it's a difficult one with Huram because he does the things he does well. He does very well. But at the moment, he's being asked to to do the sort of the defensive midfielder role, which when we're in possession, I don't have too much of a problem with him. I mean, yesterday I didn't think he was at his best, but he's good when the game opens up and he actually has space and he's not pressured. He like you know that sort of in like a quarterback role as we've called it for a number of months. Yeah, and like you said, you know, at Derby, who were quite a nice team. Whereas you look at teams sort of like Wigan, Hull, I know um, various teams that we've seen against Villa recently have sort of they've almost targeted him. And said, actually, if we don't let him get on the ball and we actually attack him, you know, Horahan's yeah. great going forwards, but I, I do have reservations about him as a kind of a spoiler or as, as an enforcer, or whatever yeah, you want to call I, it. He's not a physical presence. He's not that isn't his game really. Yeah, because as, as I was as I was saying a few months ago, I think when Smith uh, came in, like in this division with the players we've got, do we really need a, an out and out DM? Do we really need a Yedinak or a Whelan? And I think Smith pretty much. When we played, I think Derby, uh, he you know he brought Horahan in. When we had a home game, I can't remember who we played, but you know he had Horahan in, and I thought, oh, he's been listening because uh, you know he's ditched that out and out enforcer type guy. And there's, of course, as you just said, we, there's 
teams that we don't really need that security against. But when you're playing Hull, who have just won six on the bounce, and uh, you know Jared Bowen is somebody. Even if you just like watch some highlights of his goals, it's his movement, and and he comes out of nowhere, and and he the timings of his run are, are fantastic. His movement's excellent. And as soon as I saw, uh, I think I watched because uh, he's on a run, isn't he, of like scoring you know x amount of goals in the last six games or whatever. And I was watching five or six of his recent goals, and I just looked at that and I thought, oh shit, we're we're in for big trouble because one of the problems with Villa's defence is it tends to ball watch a little and if you've got anybody making uh, moves uh, and running in uh, from deep late it's going to cause us problems and straight away first goal you'll notice that he could have built a house around him he was in so much room and you know when he got the ball to uh, put it in for the first goal and you're just wondering they've obviously prepared for him so what's what's gone wrong here why has nobody picked him up why is there that overload on that side and if they had a dm in this game then he would have obviously been sitting a lot deeper and that long ball wouldn't have been that much of a problem because there would have been an extra man at the back there to uh obviously uh, stop that three on two situation yeah we, we we get that a lot don't we where villa get out yeah. because we we play because he's just we're essentially playing a four-three-three when we've when when we've got the ball. But when we don't have the ball, the two wingers are meant to, in theory, drop back. So you've got a five. But because we, yesterday we have Belassi or Kajer a lot of the time, these guys don't track back. You yeah. end up with a lot of the time four or three on our three lads. Now McGinn, you can't fault. You know he's a little terrier. He gets around the field and he does a hell of a lot of running and all the dirty work. But I don't. Really, class Hurahan as that as a spoiler. He's not. That's not. It's just not his game. Bjarnason was was poor yesterday and actually has been poor since he came back from injury. So you're you're all, you're both outnumbered and the the quality of the personnel. They just they don't do that job. So we kind of just get run on top of. Like Leeds did it endlessly before Christmas, where they'd have like four, five, six guys all committed. They'd pin us back, and, yeah. all our, and our lads want to go forwards, but they don't. They can't go the other way. So our midfield just gets bypassed. Like as you said, over that one long ball takes the three midfielders out of the game. The fullback went walkabout. All of a sudden, you've got three or four hull players onto our back, two or three essentially. It's a bit naive. It's a bit. It's a bit naive when we don't have the ball. Max, have you noticed uh, that Villa high press of the early Smith regime has that disappeared in your uh, view? Uh, yes, I think it has. I'd, I'm not sure why. I can't really pin it on anything, but. Yeah, I, just, I don't know. I don't know where it's gone. Whether it's to do with the midfield, Horhan is obviously his form's dipped. He, he doesn't look interested. I'm not too sure, and I, I think it'll be quite interesting to see whether bringing Lansbury in, if he was fit, maybe he could do a job in the middle, pushing Horhan and McGinn further forward. I don't know, but he's yeah. more mobile than certainly Wheeler, and maybe he could do a job. But it's just a case of getting him fit, really. Because they were trying to play it out the back, so they they kept that uh, getting into trouble sometimes. But you know you've got to start and uh, learn, and uh, it becomes second nature if you actually you know do it and keep trying it and keep trying it. And that's where we miss Twanzabi a little bit, isn't it? Because of all of the guys along the back line, he's the easily the best athlete, and he's actually quite good on the ball. So he's the one who actually starts our attacks off. He can carry it, so Hurahan doesn't have to play quite so deep. Or, you know, he can give the ball to a Grealish or a Horahan or a McGinn or whoever. He's the one who actually starts the attacks off at the moment. It's Chester and it's a very predictable ball, either out to Taylor or a long ball to to Abraham or one of the wingers. And the same with Elphick. Elphick tends to get it, shift it onto his right foot and plays the traditional Elmo ball, as it's become known, just lump down the line. Yeah. I think, so just a uh, summation of that game, I think 
because of the knowledge that uh, Hull had won their, you know, previous six games on the trot, people left to all. They were thinking as, you know, it's not a bad result. I think in isolation, though, I think Hull were there for the taking. Absolutely. Well, once it was 2-2, so it's disappointing in isolation. And then you start to think, well, who's the teams that really want promotion? And, you know, Leeds were 2-0 down at Villa Park, found a way to win in the end, 3-2. And you just got that feeling that, yeah, if Villa were, if they wanted promotion, they'd have won. That's something we've we've levelled at Villa for a while, isn't it? That the way we're set up to play and the way we play, and unfortunately, to throw it at him, but the way Brentford used to play, that they're not set up to play badly and win. If we play really well, we'll probably get a result. But yeah. we're not one of those teams who can grind out. You know, Swansea was a bit of an isolated one where we, we nicked a, a very unconvincing 1-0. But generally, we'll always consider... And there it is. That's as good as it gets on this stage. Nissan Townstar EV strikes again. It's an unstoppable van. Unstoppable! Look, just fantastic. You can actually see the ProPilot technology in action. Effortless parallel parking. It moves with all the confidence that comes with a five-year warranty. And with a bench full of all-star van experts, there's real strength in depth here. That's all-star quality. Search Nissan Townstar EV and visit your local all-star van centre to see for yourself. Terms and conditions apply. Five years or 100,000 miles, whichever comes first. ProPilot is an advanced driver assist technology. Driver's responsibility to stay alert, drive safely and control vehicle at all times. Even on a budget, quality is non-negotiable. That's why Quince is the place to score high-end essentials at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Get your hands on buttery soft cashmere sweaters from just 60 bucks, Italian leather jackets and so much more. And the best part about Quince, they exclusively partner with factories committed to safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Elevate your style without the elevated price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns. Picture the scene. All of your mates around, you've got your McNugget share boxes ready to go. Partner this with your team playing champagne football. Perfect. Order McDelivery now on the McDonald's app. There's nothing quite like a McDelivery. At participating restaurants, 18 plus, serving times, delivery fee and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. Right, well, let's get to the reason why uh, we're in mid-table obscurity. It's the defence. And a lot of people have been, actually, they've sent emails to me asking, uh, you know, what's happening. And I'll mention those in a second. I mean, we've conceded more than any other team in our home games. Dean Smith is averaging exactly two goals, shipping two goals a game at Villa Park so we need three goals straight away as we go into any game at Villa Park to actually get a a, have a chance of a win so I've had a couple of emails and uh, I think they seem to be triggered by some article uh, asking what is John Terry's role in all of this Tony uh, a my man said patron wrote to me and said uh, I was truly delighted when John Terry was announced as our defensive coach I don't know if he was defensive coach I think it's he was more of a you know assistant coach generally because obviously he's learning the trade so to speak his determination will to win defensive knowledge and experience are all first class but somehow our team has not been able to display any of these attributes am I being harsh in questioning our coach's influence Connor Casey also asks uh, a moment said patron says as brutally poor as our defense has been this year and every player is in there getting uh, well-deserved slating at one point or the other. I'm amazed I'm not hearing or seeing more people question Don- John Terry's role and responsibility in all of this. Interested to hear your thoughts on all of this because for me there should be enough quality there. 
that some good coaching, the sum of the parts should be performing better than they are. I just can't see any confidence and I see a lack of organisation. And isn't that on JT? Regardless of John Terry's role, starters, Dean Smith obviously played uh, as a centre-back throughout his playing career. So when it comes to defence, it should always be in the back of his mind and, you know, some would say second nature. And obviously, I mean, I don't think John Terry's in there as a defensive coach. I mean, that's more NFL, to to be frank. Uh, And I think he's there more as an assistant coach. But I'm sure Dean Smith and Richard O'Kelly are will, you know, obviously lean to John Terry when it comes to the defence. I mean, he surely has an input there. And I'm astounded by, obviously, there's personnel problems there, but that was more for like consistency and consistency and balance because all the players in their own right are good enough for this league. I mean, if we were in the Premier League, then that would be another conversation. But, you know, Tommy Elphick, he captained Bournemouth to win the championship. So that suggests he's, he's good enough at this level. Neil Taylor, you know, Welsh international fullback and played in the Premier League, obviously with Swansea, so should be good enough at this level. Alan Hutton, well, let's not go there. Uh, James Chester had an excellent season last year, obviously being hampered by injury a little bit, so should be good enough for this level. And I thought Neil Taylor performed a lot better in the second half against Hull, just to uh, add that in there. And was playing all right under Smith at the start when obviously the first thing Smith did was play players in their positions in the defence, which made uh, an immediate impact because obviously Bruce was playing three right backs at one stage and, you know, Yedinak in there. But as we saw, uh, and, and as, you know, Chris has said about that defending as a unit and that midfield, and we saw in that first goal against Hull, just the midfield just got bypassed. There's nobody sitting deep enough. They're, they were like not even marking anybody or in any position to challenge or influence the play at that point. And we've been hit by the cross ball on the counter. We're so weak. I mean, Forrest and QPR completely gutted, gutted us as Hull did uh, at the weekend. So in terms of JT, what, what are you thinking, Stokes? Oh, it's a difficult one. Obviously, it's his first managerial or role, whatever it is. But yeah, you just can't see what, what he's doing at the moment. Obviously, it's going to take take time for him to implement whatever. But when Smith came in, he settled on a back four. You look at Taylor, Chester, Twanzabe and Hutton, and he stuck with that until injuries yeah. ruined that, basically. But and when that's been ruffled and we've got Elphick back, he, he doesn't seem to play how El- like how Smith wants him to. He can't bring the ball out like Twanzabe can. And the organisation just really isn't there. It looks like four individuals that have never played together before. Yeah. And this has been a problem actually with with Elphick. I mean, Elphick's had some good games as well when he's when he's when he's coming but uh and but he's never had a chance to probably settle in, but there hasn't been that settled uh back four. And Elphick's never I don't think been part of a settled back four while he's been at Villa. I th- I think with Terry it's a difficult one to to work out yet because Last season, it was very easy to see what he brought to the club. You know, with, with John Terry, you, you know you're going to get a leader. He's going to be very organised and you're going to get someone who's going to throw himself at everything on the back line. In a coaching role, you think, well, is he as tactically switched on? We sh- I mean, we shall see in the long run. You know, he's, he's still learning his trade. You know, he's always been used to having, you know, high quality players in and around him throughout his career. So he's never actually had to deal with getting the best out of average players. Yeah. Not that, as you said, no. This is Villa is a side that should be more than good enough. I think it's about eleven of the players who were on the field for Villa were full internationals. So you're not talking about journeyman lower division players, yeah. or you know, these guys have, have all experienced big games. So you would have thought, as a unit, they are as to use a Dean Smith 
phrase, very coachable. Yeah. Because I, I do think I don't just put the blame at the back four and the goalkeeper. You know, the new guy, you know, the new guys he's settling in and I, I accept that and I think he was poor for the first goal. But then he also made a couple of fantastic saves at Wigan and his save at the end of the game probably saved us a point yeah. from point blank range. So the batter cake at the end. Yeah. Um <laughs> whereas I think Further forward is actually where our defensive problems begin because this has been going on all season, you know, with or without Twanzebe. You know, we we you know, I think we had Grealish when we um... yeah. Let's let's not forget we shipped five goals against Forest, uh, and you know, Twanzebe was there. So it's it's not as if he's like this the golden child. Yeah, I, th- I think we've we've discussed it on numerous occasions, and the the problem lies with how we're set up. We are set up to have the ball, keep it, and shut teams down, like we did at Middlesbrough, like we did at Derby by passing teams off the field and controlling the tempo of the game. Yeah. But when we give the ball away, we're just not set up to win that ball back. You know, McGinn, bless him, tries so hard and he wins it back. And it generally, he does win it back. But then we don't control the game. We're constantly chasing. Which begs the question, uh, I think we had the players at this level to play that way as we've seen against Derby and Middlesbrough. So there's evidence there. So one of this school of thought is, uh, obviously, it's all, it always happens when a new manager comes in and starts to lose and the new manager is liked. Uh, and obviously, you know, because he's a Villa fan, he's, he's going to even get more of this. It's going to be magnified. Is People start saying, oh, he hasn't got his own players. He needs two winders. And it, this is kind of a cliche. I think that's bollocks because our squad is superb. Yeah, but before that, you've got every manager that we're playing coming out in the pre-match press conference saying our oh, Villa will be playoffs, no problem. They've got one of the best squads in the league. Playoffs, no problem. Playoffs. So I think the tools are already there. So parking that there, who, when he gets into that position to get his own, own players, Villa, aren't, if we're still in this division, we're not going to have the cash to, uh, let's say, upgrade the players we have now. We're going to be getting players, uh, and, and it's not, easy to play the way he wants to play I think you know when you get into the Premier League and you're in the top six and you Pep Guardiola and you can spend 50 million on a bloody left back and the same on a right back then you can play the way that he wants to play you can play a version of this with Brentford but you're not going to get promoted I mean he's, he's never finished higher than ninth with Brentford because you're susceptible at the back you can't control that ball and keep it so you don't actually have to defend and this is it's almost like a bit of a russian roulette scenario that isn't a you know people are guaranteeing that smith will bring success because he uh once he gets his own players in after two windows he he'll get it all right well not on the evidence of what we're watching and uh it's kind of a his intentions are good if he's got the good players and i think these players that he has now are if he gets them uh and don't forget, he's still got half a window, so he can, you know, even uh, plug whatever gaps. If he needs some a bit more of a mobile DM, for example, you know, there's a chance to get one in. I th- I feel that it's going to be interesting if he doesn't get promoted this season to see actually what happens, because I don't think the team, in terms of individual personnel, will be good enough. And I don't know if we will have the resources to get in a team of 11 world beaters who can actually play the way he wants to play uh, to maximum effect what, what do you think Max yeah I think if we if we don't go up this year I don't know if Chester might go but if Chester does go I think we're in for much trouble next year well Grealish yeah. will go oh yeah definitely yeah no Tammy Abraham no, no. El Ghazi McGinn if Ashley Westwood was picked off by a Premier League team then oh, yeah. McGinn's McGinn's going to go. I mean, yeah. Any any of the promoted teams would probably want him. And then you've got all those, uh, let's say, the bottom uh, eight of the Premier League. It's perfect type of player for them as well. So they'll go for him. They've got the money to attract him, no problem. 
And then we'll need to get a whole new 11, so who knows? Pretty much, yeah. So it's 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 a dicey game. It's uh, People are also saying, well, if we get promoted uh, this season, we're going to have to rebuild. Well, um, uh, newsflash, we're going to have to rebuild anyway. But if we're in the Premier League, we'll actually have some uh, collateral to actually rebuild with. And another newsflash, the bottom 10 of the uh, the Premier League isn't that much superior to uh, the top five or so of the championship. So uh, I'm pretty sure would survive without that much problem. But there would be a transitional uh, season there for sure. But I'd rather be in the Premier League rebuilding than uh, looking forward to a, a good decade in the uh, Championship. Now it's it's a really difficult one with you know because there's there's been numerous times this season you know under Bruce it was oh why can't we just go for it why can't we be entertained and then we've we've kind of got supposedly what we want in this free flowing football and still can't defend and there has to be this at some point in the season where we have a game and you think yes we can play beautiful football and we can get on the front foot but at some point. We can also be pragmatic and go, do you know what? Either we've done the job or we can shut the game down or control it. You know, that that overused phrase of sort of in-game management is absolutely non-existent at Villa Park at the moment. We just, we cannot control a game other than when we've played. I remember when we played sort of Bolton, who were very, very poor, and we had a bit of control there. Middlesbrough, it almost seems like the that little run of games with Derby, Middlesbrough, up to Blues, that was the... Villa's purple patch, and we've actually leveled out to where we actually are. Well, I mean, there's two things about that. There's you obviously get the new manager bounce, uh, and I, I don't think there's been a scientific study on to show exactly what that means. But the interesting thing is, I mean, you know, I'm saying that there's quality in this squad because that Derby and Middlesbrough game, the thing, and the Blues game, even, and, and the way we played against the Baggies showed what this team can do, and that that's the alarm bell because if Smith hadn't done anything in those games, then you could say, yeah, you know, this squad's crap, blah, blah, blah. But any team ever that's ever been in the championship, if you gave them two 3-0 wins away to uh, legit promotion candidates, uh, that's as good as it gets. I mean, I never expected to beat any of those teams 3-0. And, you know, what was, you, what was your feeling uh, when, when we beat Derby and Middlesbrough? It was like, oh, here we go, happy days. Derby was a weird one because the whole the whole game we were just on top of them and that's that's the thing we haven't seen this season we we're just not consistent over ninety minutes we'll be you know as we saw against Hull we'll be good one half crap the other half and against yeah. Derby we were just something else for ninety minutes and that's one game we just need to keep it up and we're not seeing it this season but didn't didn't you see the the full potential of what can happen this season in that Derby game yeah that that's the frustrating thing we we're, we're seeing it in the odd game we're just not seeing it for a prolonged period of time. Yeah, I, th- I think most fans and a lot of the pundits and probably a lot of the other sides as well probably saw that run of games up until sort of the Villa went to the baggies and thought, you know, fucking hell, Villa were really coming now. There'd have been a few teams at the top, in- you know, including the top two, would have been looking at that going, yeah, Villa are coming for us. Yeah, and that's what and I then, thought. And yeah. they just, and the form's just dropped off a cliff. And whether it's teams have worked out how to play against us, you know, is Grealish an integral part of it? Yes, you know, he's going to be an integral part of any team. But Let me interrupt you there just to uh, segue in a question from uh, one of our listeners, Patrick Young, who says, can you and the lads please talk about what portion of our recent fall off in form, and we're talking about the fall off the cliff that you've just mentioned, is due to Jack and Axel being out? I believe it is huge. Uh, maybe talk about them separately if you would. Well, we've kind of done that anyway. As we discussed on the last podcast, teams like was it Preston had like ten first team players out of their out of their uh, first eleven, 
injured. Yep. As as football fans, you look at your own team in like tunnel vision, injuries only happen to you. So when you're saying, you know, Jack and Axel is out, but other teams we've played have had like five, six players out. They're top men out I mean we played Wigan and they had they still had their top man out Norwich are you know in the top two and they've lost James Madison yeah he probably one of, he was one of the best midfielders in the league last year so it's like them le- losing Grealish essentially and then pushed on and this is the thing uh when you look at our team, your team shit, it, it looks good. But if at this level, obviously you're judging these players on past reputations when it's, you know, players like Balassi, for example. And you think we've got enough to get in the playoffs. And we're not talking about winning this league. I mean, I would like Grealish in the team if you had aspirations of actually, you know, automatic. But if Grealish was out to the end of the season, I would still expect this squad to make the playoffs. You'd like to think so. I mean, we've, we've said numerous times, haven't we? If Villa can get themselves into that top six... With the players we've got, and if we get our shit together on form, you'd fancy Villa to turn over anybody. As long as I mean, if it got to the playoffs, I would want Grealish playing. Obviously, yeah, to of fan- fancy our chances to win the playoffs, put it that way. But to yeah. get into them, I don't think he's a necessity. I mean, it's hard to say, is he? <laughs> It would, it would appear he is at the moment going getting on the front foot. Defensively, not necessarily. That might be a different thing. But certainly when we go through the gears going forward, he, he is like the integral cog in our machine yes. with, with the ball. Other clubs, I think it's not so obvious. That's what we, that's through my eyes anyway. It's not, it's not so obvious when they lose their key man. But when it's yeah. Villa, it's just so obvious that something's missing. And with yeah. Grealish, you know, there's just going forward, the creative spark is pretty much just gone. And we're not scoring enough goals. We had no shots on target at Wigan. We had, what, two against Hull. Yeah. And yeah, it's just not there. Yeah, it's a bit of a bizarre He one. brings out the best in of the players, doesn't he, as well, I think. Because he, he almost sacrifices himself by pulling two players of the opposition on him. Because most teams double up on him now. Yeah. You know, he's not an unknown quantity. He All of a sudden, he, he, you know, he gets space for the likes of Horahan to play in that deep line role. McGinn yeah. has, gets more space and he can actually bring the wide men into play. We'll play through teams because he'll, he'll get Abraham playing into feet as opposed to lumping it from the back up to him. Yeah. He just he, he, he gives us in-game a plan B or a plan C. He gives us different ways to attack teams as opposed to at the moment. We seem to have one way. A question about his injury... A question about his injury from Sharon Patel, or amusing about uh, Jack's injury. If shin-related, is it time for him to put on big boy shin pads? Yes. Would it have prevented his current injury or is our current bad form because he isn't in the squad, which leads to why have we gone downhill since the uh, West Brom handball? Uh, the whole shin pad thing, uh, I just it's like repetitive strain almost, that shin injury, isn't it? Just from being kicked every game 20 times. Yeah, well, it's, well, it's a stress fracture, isn't it? So, yeah. Which would suggest it is, which, you know, if, you, if you're looking for uh, in any other sort of business world you'd say that's like asset management you know somebody higher up in the club will say well we value you at this amount of money if we ever want to sell you we can't have you injured if we don't go up yeah that's common sense as far as on on the footballing side yes or they they villa need to find a way to protect him on the field max is it a gimmicky thing these uh shin pads because it apparently does wear shin pads obviously uh but they're lower down or are they too small or what would if you were his manager what would you say to him well, yeah, I think, as he said, it's like a gimmick thing. I think Ollie McBurney at Swansea does it as well. I, I don't know whether it's like a, a fashion thing, whatever, but yeah, just because he was the most fouled player in the championship, wasn't he? And just people kicking him yeah. all over the place. And I can't remember it, whether it was a particular incident that caused this injury, but he went down towards the end of the, the West Brom game. Uh, yeah, it's it's not good enough, really. I think he, sh- he should wear shin pads no matter what, just protect yourself. 
So bad management, Smith out. Is that what you're saying? Yeah, definitely. Get him out. Get Bruce back. <laughs> There's one for the clickbait. <laughs> Yeah, of all of all the, of all the quotes I took from this, that was it. <laughs> I think we said it a number of times as well. Is that we are so nice, and you just think if we had that nasty streak, you yeah. know, in the first five minutes, one of our midfielders snapped their main guy in half. The opposition knows they're in a game. <laughs> yeah, just fucking leather the twat. But we don't do it. We we sit back and go, go on, you have the ball, and we'll let you play. Like you don't see Hurahan. You know, Hurahan yeah. will normally get booked for something stupid. Bjarnason, it's normally a clumsy one. Like he got booked on against. Uh, for tripping over the ball and pulling someone down. McGinn, gets, McGinn can, definitely. And he's on nine yellows at the moment. I think he's one away yeah. from having a two-match suspension. Yeah, we could be without both of them soon. That'll be a horrific God. prospect. Yeah. Right. Well, anyway, let's uh, let's park that. Is there any... We haven't really got any conclusions uh, apart from... Uh, I think there's a, the personnel are there. It's There are big questions about what are we... What is Smith doing and, you know, what is Terry and basically the whole coaching staff in terms of the defence... And it's it is very odd that we have one of the best defenders in the English league as a coach now, and we can't defend for Toffee. We're looking for a spark of a, a light at the end of the tunnel, aren't we? At least something that to show. Oh, okay, I can see what they're doing, and I can see a sign of improvement. But we're not seeing any improvement. If anything, they're getting worse. There is uh, That's the scary thing. The only spark I, I can think of is the second half was better against Hull, and now we're going to two games of, against teams in the bottom three, which. On paper, you think this is a chance to, uh, let's say, recalibrate us uh, for the rest of the season. But historically, I mean, at the start of the season, we struggled against those teams in the bottom three. I think Millwall were in the bottom three and they turned us over. Uh, Reading were, and we, we couldn't beat them at Villa Park. So we've got Paul Lambert returning to Villa Park with Ipswich and then at the return leg of the Reading game. And I think to have any chance of the playoffs, we need to uh, win both of those games. I would agree. I would agree with that. Yeah, I agree. Um, I think top two. I think that went after Leeds, after yeah. they beat us at Villa yeah, Park. I agree with that. But um, yeah, playoffs. We If we can't beat Ipswich at home, bottom of the league Ipswich, I think we've got no hope. They have the secret weapon of James Collins now, though. Oh, you know he's going to score. You know he's going to score. <laughs> Lump on. <laughs> First game he played for Ipswich, uh, they won 1-0 clean sheet straight away but Dear. didn't really pan out to them uh, they got beat by uh, Blackburn who have suddenly mysteriously appeared above us in the league table well half the league table is pretty much above <laughs> it us it seems but... to be the case every year doesn't it teams just have these crazy runs of form from nowhere like Hull have had was it seven unbeaten six wins on the bounce before they played us and I just think if Villa can get organised can we go on a run yes I think but... we need a winning run what kind of winning run do we need Cause I, I... five six minimum we probably need to go at least 10 without a defeat. Yeah. Or probably, we, we can probably only afford one, two maximum defeats, probably one more defeat the rest of the season, which I can't see happening. Yeah, no, that's not going to happen. I think the same, you know, five, six, seven. I think we went, what was it, seven last year? at the start? Seven on a bounce, January, yeah. February, wasn't it? Yeah, yeah. This, this time last year. Yeah, we need something like that. I think we're seven points off the playoffs at the moment, so yeah. And with the personnel we have up front, that and what we've seen, some of the games, it's, it's possible, but the problem is we have the Achilles heel, which is our defence at any given time. A liar I mean, he had four clean sheets in his first eight games, I think, Dean Smith. But the only reason we can keep a clean sheet is if we just keep the ball and we don't give them actually a chance. It's not as if Nyland was really busy. You'd make the odd you know, save here and there. Which brings us on to uh, Kalinic. Uh, so far, Max, what, what have you ma- made of him? Uh, we, we spoke about it a little bit in the last podcast, but what, what's you and your uh, buddies' views on him? He hasn't had the best start, has he? I think, what, eight goals in three games? I don't think... <laughs> 
<laughs> in the Wigan game, to be fair to him, he made a lot of good saves. I think Wigan could have been 3-4 yeah. up at half-time. He did make a lot of good saves, but overall, he looks like a presence in the box and he looks he looks like the makings of a good goalkeeper. Yeah, you, you feel kind of sorry for him, don't you? It's really difficult for him to, to step into a a team that's a got such high expectations of where it, you know the fans and the club feels it should be, and also a defense that's playing in front of him that's so shaky. You know he's isolated constantly, and he's obviously not not used to playing with these guys, and these guys aren't used to playing with him or with each other. It would appear so. It's you know he either is either going to have to raise his game or someone's going to have to get the carnage that's going on in front of him organised. But I think if if he can get himself a clean sheet, I think his confidence will grow quite quickly, as Nylands did. Yeah, but uh, I mean, the funny thing was that he was going to come in as uh, potentially Remy Gard's only signing in the season, obviously, that we got relegated. Uh, obviously, the work permit issues uh, put the kibosh on that. You know, he said in his interview that he was actually, was it three times the keeper he was then? Something like that, yeah. That's a scary prospect, isn't it? I don't think he would have saved us from getting relegated if he did sign. We can put that in the bank for sure. Just to wrap this off, Max, are you confident of the playoffs? No, not at all. As you said, I think we need to go on some sort of run. And at the moment, I don't see that happening. What about Dean Smith getting his career best finish in the league above ninth? Well, it's funny you say that because someone asked me yesterday, where do you think we'll finish? And I did actually say ninth, not not thinking about <laughs> Dean Smith's top finish. But yeah, I'm, I'm going to say ninth. I don't think there's any way we're going to get playoffs. Wow, pessimism from Villa on tour. Yeah, I think he's what he's, he's seen. He's seen enough games to know better. <laughs> What's Buddhism telling us? Can we go up? Yes, we've we, you know we've discussed. We've got the players to. We've got the ammo going forward. But I just you you can't see us not conceding at the moment, and I can't see how it's going to get that much better quick enough. I can I, what I can see is us actually having a really good run, but it being too late. And, and that would frustrate the shit out of all the supporters because you could quite easily see Villa going unbeaten through April or something. And everyone going, oh, wow, yeah, we've got all the momentum going into next season. Oh, yeah, we're going to lose all the players. Here's my outlandish statement that will probably come back to shoot me in the backside. If we get in the top six, we'll go up. But it's if we can get in the top six. Yeah, that's what I'm feeling as well. If we get there and to get in the top six, obviously we'd have to be essentially the team with momentum. We'd have to be that late charge. But you look at what we've got going forward and we could rip any team in this division and have proven we can to pieces in either a one-off game or over two legs. Max is saying ninth though. Well, it could be that's the thing. We could we could, we could finish anywhere. I have a horrible I have a horrible feeling we'll fi- I think we'll finish seventh and we'll miss out by a point. That sounds, that sounds like a Dan Rogers kind of statement, that one. Yeah. Uh, well, you could ask me what I think, but... It's Dave, what do you think? <laughs> do you even care? <laughs> Are you over it at this point? <laughs> no, I, I, as we hinted in the last podcast, we're, we're, as soon as we're, those playoffs aren't reachable, we are turning this into a Manchester United podcast. <laughs> yeah. Click of the finger. We're going for global reach. Get that money in. I'm looking forward to United on Tour YouTube channel as well. Oh, yeah. Yeah, <laughs> get to go and follow them for the pre-season trips to Asia. Brilliant! It's all, it's all about the lis- it's all about the listeners and uh, uh, viewers now. Get that broader demographic. Yeah, get the Asian market. <laughs> no, exactly. Well, no, it's massive. Uh, I think uh, I've mentioned it before. Uh, I think the demographic of my old man said website is eighty-two percent UK. Now, the Arse blog, which is the biggest Arsenal one, I think it's forty percent UK, which just shows you what the mass 
you know international uh, readership uh, listenership or you know they've got a podcast as well is i mean it's uh, once you break the international market then uh, it's another world sadly we're we're miles off we're shunned out of it those promises of uh, dr tony saying that uh, we would be the biggest team in uh, china and uh, the you know in the top three in the world you were just thinking oh god this is good. i'm gonna have one of the biggest websites in the world <laughs> and now podcast. we're getting our ass handed to us by bournemouth <laughs> no wigan yeah and all these pokey little towns with one man and a dog living there yeah <laughs> literally in wigan's case it'd be good to see uh villa on tour at old trafford and anfield and maybe one day yeah. Isn't that depressing that we actually have to say it? We'll, we'll get to play Anfield one day. When actually, or Old Trafford, where most Villa fans who can remember going to Old Trafford just remember getting spanked every year, or getting done in the, or getting done in the last year, getting done in the last minute. I was there two thousand nine when Gabby put it in to give us a one nil win. Are we still talking about Gabby on this podcast? I thought his name had been banished. <laughs> I'd actually sneak my dad, who's a Man United fan, into uh, the Villa away end as well uh, because we couldn't get United tickets and uh, so he had the pleasure of uh, I mean it was delirium in the away end when Villa because we hadn't beaten them we, we could never beat Ferguson he uh, he tortured us you know we would be 2-0 up going into uh, injury time we'd still managed to get beat 3-2 by United he, he, yeah I think he we could... haven't we beaten them once since 1995 or something yeah it was uh... it's an absolute joke our record especially at Villa Park it's as good as a gimme for them but following Villa, I mean, that's, I want to be having, you know, taking swings at United and beating Liverpool. That's that's where I got my joy from. Uh, none of this getting getting whooped by the Wigan. <laughs> have I said where we're going to finish? You no, can give us a number. Ever. Come on, Dave, uh, commit, commit. Well, if Dean Smith is as good as everybody says he is, uh, we should, I think, scrape into the playoffs. But I'm going for eighth. That's <laughs> the spirit. <laughs> So that's seven, eight, and ninth. We are really uh, hedging our bets. If, if any one of those comes true, uh, what are we doing, boys? What are we doing? I'll put this one out to both of you. If if we fail to beat Ipswich, is it season over there and then? Yes. Yes. Yeah, yeah. not going. Those players would have given up internally, and they'll they'll be talking to their agents, talking about next season. I think. I yeah. think. Yeah. I think you can. You know, the level of sort of toxic atmosphere that would be around the ground at that point would be it would be horrible to walk away from that, the ground after playing it, which having not won. And I think that the frustrating um, the frustrating thing for some of the fan base is you look at where Norwich and Leeds have come from, other teams in the past, Fulham are a great example, Wolves were to a certain extent. If we were struggling now with what you'd considered a brand new team and you thought, oh, well, that team are all going to be there next year. They're, yeah, they're, they're no, going to exactly, grow, they're yeah. going to improve. Um, it's a learning curve. Yeah. yeah, completely. We're not going to lose any of them. They're only going to get better. We'll be there. I think most fans would probably dare I say, accept that. But the fact that we're still under pressure that if we don't go up, this team isn't going to exist. And then you have to start all over again. It seems to be every year since we've gone down, we've had to start again every summer, be it a new manager or new ownership. Right. And before we go, just a reminder that new for 2019, we are now doing weekly My Own Man Said patron bonus podcast. So if you want to join as a mom's patron, please go to myomansaid.com and click on the patron option. If you're on a mobile device, that's if you first of all, you press the three line menu button and you'll find the patron option there. Please do join us there because mom's patrons will be on a whole new level for 2019. And if you're listening on iTunes, please do give us a review. Thanks very much. So looking forward to Whipswitch, maybe. 
Looking forward to Reading? Probably not. But until next time, it's goodbye from me and it's goodbye from them. Ta-ra. Goodbye. My old man said. I see a lack of organisation. And isn't that on JT? Hmm. Dave, I'm just literally just going to quickly dash for a piss so you can edit edit there and I'll be we'll back leave, in like two minutes. We'll leave that bit in. <laughs> yeah, hell yeah, you will. I'll be back in two minutes. All right. Wow. Amateurs, real amateurs. <laughs> Can't believe it. Well, I'll, I'll carry on because I'm, I was going to waffle for a, a minute anyway. We, we okay. are waffling, especially <laughs> that Chris. Chris guy just like loves yeah, to yeah. waffle. Away days are great, but there's nothing quite like playing at home. The same goes for McDonald's. Maximize your home ground advantage with McDelivery. Order now on the McDonald's app. At participating restaurants, 18 plus serving times, delivery fee and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. And there it is. That's as good as it gets on this stage. Nissan Townstar EV strikes again. It's an unstoppable van. Unstoppable. Look, just fantastic. You can actually see the ProPilot technology in action. Effortless parallel parking. It moves with all the confidence that comes with a five-year warranty. And with a bench full of all-star van experts, there's real strength in depth here. That's all-star quality. Search Nissan Townstar EV and visit your local all-star van centre to see for yourself. Terms and conditions apply. Five years or 100,000 miles, whichever comes first. ProPilot is an advanced driver assist technology. Driver's responsibility to stay alert, drive safely and control vehicle at all times. This podcast is proud to be part of the TalkSport Fan Network. TalkSport. Powered by fans.